You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Amen. Thank you, Nathan, for leading us in worship this morning. And to break the ice, I want to talk about uh, something that's near and dear to me, which is going and watching live music. I love going to, to concerts, and it's going to tie into how this passage in Luke chapter 8, verse 40 opens up for us. And there is this anticipation uh, for Jesus. And, you know, if you've been to a concert before, you've, you've seen, you know, there's typically opening acts, and then eventually there's the headliner, the person that you have paid to see money for, and there's always this moment, I've noticed, uh, before the opening act or, or, the, or the headliner comes on, uh, there's this moment of anticipation. You know, the stage is dark. Maybe there's uh, guitar text or something messing around, getting things just right. And everyone's sort of, you know, searching the faces of the people that are, that are milling around to see if it's someone they recognize, if it's, if it's someone that is in the band. And eventually the, the band comes out and, and applause results and, and the show starts. Um, and I draw that out just because uh, I, I want to key in on this spirit of, of anticipation in the text. Um, but the kind of anticipation that is, is, is here with us is, is different. And let me unpack that. So we're going to encounter a couple of characters this morning in the, in the text that um, they're in a place of desperation. One of them, his daughter, is uh, on her deathbed. Another is a woman who suffered many years uh, due to an illness. Both of them in a place of desperation. And so what's happening is, if we look at the beginning of, of Luke chapter 8, we see uh, what Caleb preached on last week is that Jesus and his disciples, they get in a boat and they go to a place across the Sea of Galilee to Gentile territory. And they go and they heal this man. Uh, Jesus heals this man. Um, and now they're, they're taking that same boat and they're, and they're returning to Galilee. And Jesus' reputation has preceded him and they're excited for him to return. But it's the spirit of desperation and um, they're crying out for, for him in, in different ways. And so I want to give you a little bit of an outline of where we're going to go with, with all this so you can track with me. Uh, the first thing that we're going to do is just walk through the text. Uh, and there's so much to learn from this particular text. Sometimes Jesus teaches uh, us explicitly, you know, through the parables, through the Sermon on the Mount, and sometimes he teaches us so much just by what he does. And this is one of those texts. So I'd like you to take some notes as we walk through it and make some observations on how you see Jesus operating and, and doing. And Because we ultimately as Christians are disciples of, of Jesus. We want to follow after him and what he does. Um, so after we do a walkthrough of the text we're going to zoom out and really talk about how does this fit into the context of Luke thus far. We're only in chapter 8. There's many more chapters to go. And then 
see, ask the question, how do I fit in the story? Where is my place and how do I respond to this text? So that's a real brief outline for, for you uh, to follow along. Um, let's start in Luke 8, starting in, uh, in verses 40 through 42. And I'm going to kind of read these in three different sections and then respond to them. Uh, so let's start there. It says, When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter about 12 years old and she was at death's door. So the first observation that I make about Jesus is that he's a servant. Um, let me explain what I mean by that. I, before the virus hit, uh, I went... Uh, I came home from work one day, was driving into Waukee, and was met with this long line of Suburbans, black Suburbans escorted by police. Obviously, somebody important is coming through, and you know the, the indication that I got was pull off on the side of the road, stop, you know, let them pass through. Clearly, there's no time for a person like me uh, to get in the way of this important person. What I love is that who could be more important than Jesus? And, and we'll unpack more of that later. But in spite of that, he is available to people. There's no really recorded words between Jesus and Jairus. He, uh, he sees Jairus. Uh, Jairus somehow kind of breaks away from the crowd and makes his case. And they, they head straight to, to Jairus' house. Right? The, the verse that we're going to uh, pick up with says, while they're going. Jesus just goes. And I'm challenged by that, just to be available, to, to understand the needs of others and to be available to them. And this is maybe a small example, but as we work from home, you know, I've been working from home and my kids are at home, you know, with everything that's going on with the schools. And so you, you have a scenario where, where dad's trying to do his job and maybe, you know, my, my daughter Vera came in the other day and she was sprayed with the water hose by her sister, and she was upset, and she was crying. And, and there is a temptation to, to get angry, to say, you know, I'm not available right now. You know, Dad needs to do his job. But I'm challenged in this to, um, to really take advantage of the fact that we get to be in the same space as a family, to make time. You know, and it may seem like a really small thing like that, but... I think that obedience and following Jesus in the tiny little details of life is what trains us to be obedient in the bigger decisions of life. So let's, let's keep on. There's going to be many more examples of, of how we need to follow Jesus. So let's pick up with the second half of verse 42, and then we'll, and we'll continue on. It says this, While he was going, we're going to Jairus' house, Jesus and his, and his disciples, the crowds were nearly crushing him, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors yet could not be healed in, by any approached from behind and touched the tassel of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason 
She had touched him and, and how she was instantly cured. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. There's so much going on in here. And the first thing that I notice is that Jesus is personal. Um, I'm an engineer by trade, and so efficiency is something that really matters to me. And so when I look at the story, I'm like, Jesus, you felt power go out from you. You know, Jairus is in dire need. Why don't you just keep walking? You, you, know, you know that she's healed. But Jesus stops, and he makes time for this woman. And I think the reason that he calls out and says, wait, I, I want to know who this is, is because he genuinely cares for her. He wants to look into the eyes of this person that he is healed and, and to know her. You know, the good shepherd wants to know his sheep. And, and I would call this going beyond protocol. Um, and what I mean by that is think of a, a daily uh, common experience like checking out at the grocery store. Uh, we have this dialogue that we have so dialed in. Um, you know, imagine you're, you're checking out, the cashier is going to ask you something like, hey, did you find everything okay? And we're going to be like, oh, yeah, it was great. And there's this back and forth that we have that in relational terms really means nothing. It's just protocol. It's just, you know, what we say to kind of get out the door. Um, and Jesus goes beyond that. I think of our elder, uh, Greg Argenbright, and there's several times that, uh, you know, he's asked me, hey, how you doing? And, and I try not to follow protocol and just say, oh, things are great. I try to answer that question honestly, and, you know, Greg will respond with, I'll be praying for that. And, and even in the church, we have protocol. You know, we expect that. We expect people to say that in the church. Um, but I know Greg means it because a lot of times I'll receive a text from him, you know, three days later saying, hey, I've been praying about what it is that you shared. And I want to follow up and see, you know, are things going better? How, how are you doing? And it floors me because it's not expected. Greg is, is going beyond protocol and truly caring for me. And, and that's what Jesus is calling us to in, in being personal. Um, another thing that I observe on this section of the text is the miracle of healing. You know, and, and this isn't the first time that Jesus has healed someone in the, in the book of Luke. It's happened several times now. Um, but nonetheless, it, this is a miracle. And so Jesus is a healer. Myself, I have never healed anyone. Uh, I know that God has that power to heal someone, but it's not something that I expect to do on a daily basis. So I, I thought about how can we make this more practical? And for me, I, I think of Proverbs 12, 18, and just, just roughly uh, paraphrasing it, it says that reckless words pierce like a sword, but the words of the wise are healing. And for us, I want to challenge us uh, from a practical standpoint to really think about what it is that we say and how can we use our words in a way that's healing. You know, James uh, the book of James warns us of, you know, what we can, the damage that we can do with our tongues and how, how relevant. I mean, looking at what's going on in our world, uh, we're struggling as a culture to really process how to do life in a pandemic. We're still struggling with that. And I see, uh, you know, stones being thrown in the form of words all over the place. You know, we're wrestling with 
what's the right behavior? How do we be safe? How do we, you know, uh, how do we, you know, fix this as a as a society? Um, so it's expected of the world, you know, that stones will be thrown, but it's not expected of us as followers of Jesus. And so we got to ask ourselves, how, how have we done with our tongues? Uh, have, we, have we spoken hurtful words in, in, in the stress that the, the pandemic has put on us? I also want to bring up the fact that we're, we're going through uh, something as a, a society in processing racism, right? Hundreds of years of racism is is boiling over in our culture, and it's yet another opportunity for us to use our words in hurtful ways. Um, and so how are we doing there? I know myself, I've been challenged. Um, my, my dad was up recently, uh, and my mom visiting on a weekend. We got into a heated conversation about race, and I, it takes me a lot to raise my voice, but I raised my voice at my father. I swore at my father. And it was surprising, you know, for me, it was surprising for my dad. And, and we worked things out. Um, but I say that saying, man, we have to be careful with what we say. And Jesus gives us a beautiful example in healing this woman and turning around and saying, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Looking at that sentence alone, just one sentence says so much in terms of healing. And we can learn from that. Um, oh, let's see, what else did I want to hit here? Oh, uh, he says, go in peace. And to me, this feels like a priestly uh, benediction. Um, and so I wanted to call out that Jesus, of course, being referred to in the, in the greater New Testament as a high priest. Um, we ourselves being referred to as priests in, in some of the um, later letters in the New Testament. And so what does that, what does that mean? And I, to me, I look at the Levites and how they had this, in the Old Testament, a role of being an intermediary between the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, and the, the greater pe- people of Israel. Um, and what does that look for, like for us today? I think it could look many ways. I, I think of the book of, of, I think it's Hebrews that talks about uh, unpacks what it is to be priestly like Jesus. Um, but if I'm to pin it on one thing, I think of the Great Commission. And what's our highest calling as being priestly to the world? I think it's being able to articulate the gospel, which Luke is unpacking. He, being able to share with people how they can be reconciled with God. And we'll be unpacking more of that as we get into the text. Um, but Again, let's, let's think about our own lives. How are we drawing other people towards God? Are we doing that at all? You know, we have opportunities as parents, as friends, as coworkers. How are we doing? How, how well are we following Jesus and being priestly? Um, that's all I'm going to say about this section of text. Let's, let's get into the last um, section and, and we'll continue on. So picking up in verse 49, it says, While he was still speaking... Someone came from the synagogue leader's house saying, Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And when Jesus heard it, he answered him, Don't be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. After he came to the house, 
He let no one enter him. Uh, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the children's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her. But he said, "Stop crying, for she is not dead, but asleep." They started laughing at him because they knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, "Child, get up!" Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat, and her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. So what do we observe about Jesus in this? First, I think we need to empathize with with Jairus a little bit. Um, Reading this story about his daughter, Dying at a young age, uh, it reminds me of something that I went through when we had, Donna and I had our first child, Maven. She was only four months old, and I got a phone call uh, that my cousin had lost her uh, seven-month-old boy to, in an accident. Um, and we, we went to the funeral, and there's this opportunity, you know, to go up and, and say goodbye. And, and it was a closed casket, but the thing that, that just uh, shook me and still shakes me to this day is the size of the casket. And, um, you know, when, when I was approaching it, everything in me was just crying out, you know, this should not be. You know, why, why is this child being taken from the earth? Um, it seemed like uh, an injustice, you know, and we have to check ourselves on that because no one's guaranteed a certain amount of days. Every day that we're given is a gift. Um, but I, I share that story because it gets us into the emotion of this room and what's happening in this text. And it helps us understand, you know, Jairus has already received word that his daughter has died. She, and he's processing that. He's going into the room and he's seeing she's not herself. She's not there anymore. And he, he's come to some level of, of acceptance about that. And for Jesus to suggest that she's just sleeping, it's laughable to not only him, but his wife, um, and to Peter, James, and John, right? It, it's saying that they all laughed. Um, and what I love about Jesus is that he works a miracle in spite of them. Right, and, uh, and so we have these two examples of faith. One where this woman believes that she'll be healed and, and Jesus rewards her and says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, daughter. We have this other example where we don't know where Jairus' faith is at. He's had some kind of faith to come and find Jesus. He's had some kind of hope that Jesus could potentially resolve and heal his daughter, but that has to have been wavered with the announcement that she died, that they didn't make it in time. Um, But of course, Jesus says, no, she's just asleep. And he calls out to her child. Notice, you know, both with this young girl and with the older woman, he's using these familial terms, daughter and child. Um, And so what I observe about Jesus is, is that he's merciful, uh, he's merciful and he's gracious. Um, you know, he's, he's giving them something, a gift of this miracle in spite of them. That's grace. 
He's also withholding judgment because of their reaction. You know, I, I could think of, I don't know if you've ever been laughed at, but it doesn't feel very good. And, you know, this could be, you know, swap out any other person in that room and they could storm out, you know, <laughs> being insulted by uh, getting laughed at. Uh, but, but not so with Jesus. He is, he's merciful and maybe understands what it is that they're going through and works on their behalf anyway. So are we like that? Are we able to um, empathize with those that maybe are even insulting us and to care for them anyway? That's a big challenge. Scripture calls us to love people when love is not reciprocated and is not deserved, and that's a challenge. The last thing that I observe is compassion. Um, just like the woman that Jesus has healed, and it's not enough for her to just be healed, he wants to seek her out. He wants to look into her eyes and know her. Um, this young child, is he raises up and he tends to her. He wants her to be fed, to have some food, to have some nourishment. Again, it communicates to me just how much care Jesus has for his sheep, his people, us. And, uh, and we ought to learn from that. And so that concludes just walking through uh, the section of the text. And so let's zoom out. Let's talk about, you know, what does this mean in the greater context of Luke? Um, Luke thus far in, in, in these eight chapters has unpacked a lot. And I think the, the thesis statement of what I would say uh, is Luke 1 to 8 is that Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Messiah. If we look back to these first eight chapters, um, we see the angel Gabriel announcing not only the birth of John, but the birth of Jesus. The name Jesus means God saves. Um, we see when John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, when John is born, he prophesies and says, salvation is coming, speaking of Jesus. When Jesus is born, the famous you know, Christmas story, the angels uh, announce his birth to the shepherds, essentially saying, salvation is here. Um, when Jesus is brought to the temple as a child, there is a prophet and a prophetess there, both testifying that Jesus is that salvation. He is the redemption of Israel. Um, I think of when we get to Jesus' baptism, uh, the very voice of God is audible, saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Uh, Jesus, in his first sermon, uh, reads Isaiah 61, sets it down and says, today in your presence, this is fulfilled. That's the purpose that, that Luke is writing. He's, he's saying, Theophilus, I'm writing to you an orderly account of the things that have happened, uh, the things that have been fulfilled. So this running thesis statement of Luke is that he is the Savior. Um, and so how does, why did Luke include these stories? Why are they relevant? Um, how do they in, reinforce the thesis statement that Jesus is Savior? And certainly they reinforce it because his signs and his wonders, the miracles that he's working, testifies to the fact 
that he's Jesus, right? So John the Baptist sends disciples to Jesus in the book of Luke saying, hey, are you the one? And, and Jesus quotes Isaiah again, a different portion, uh, saying these are the signs of what the Messiah looks like, and I'm fulfilling that. Um, so that is the, the reason I think that these, this, these stories are included. But there's something more. There is this emphasis on faith in this text that we're not seeing in, in, in Luke thus far. We've seen the story of the faith of the centurion. But I would say this text is, is making a point of, of faith. And what Luke, I think, wants to communicate to us is that not only Jesus is the Savior, but that uh, he is worthy of our faith and he is worthy of our following. That's the point that, that uh, I think he's getting at. And so to, to close us, I want to ask the question, you know, where do we fit in the story? Um, you know, there... I've kind of imagined myself in the shoes of the disciples um, looking at what Jesus is doing and observing. But there's many things that we can look at. Uh, the crowd, you know, looking at, at the, the world and, and the way that things are right now, the instability, the, the stones that I've mentioned being thrown. Um, maybe you identify with the crowd who is in this place of desperation looking to Jesus for answers. Maybe you'd identify with the woman who is uh, having this sickness and looking for a cure. Maybe you're in that position. Maybe you identify with Jairus who is really wrestling with what it is that he believes. And maybe the idea that God could change your circumstances is laughable. I bring these things up so that we can help the text help us understand where it is that we are at before God. And what I love about this text is that Jesus answers all three of those scenarios with the same invitation to believe. And you may push back on that saying, what does belief have to do with any of this? How does me believing a certain thing change anything about the world? or change anything about my circumstances. And this is where I think the Gospels take us to task and, and really help us understand what the real problem is. What the Gospel is getting at in the book of Luke, which is not finished, we still have much to go, is getting at is that the problem with the world is not what's going on outside in the world. The problem is in our hearts. We're the problem. We, we have what uh, the Gospels have diagnosed us as sin. We have sin in our hearts. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's course-correcting our thinking. The problem is not out there. Though, um, you know, What's happening in the world and what's happening in our hearts are, there's a connection there. But the real problem is not the world. The real problem is in our hearts. And it's between us and God. It's a vertical problem, not a horizontal problem. Our sin has caused brokenness, and we are separated from God. 
And so when, G, when Luke is, is, is making this, this thesis statement of Jesus is the Savior, why, why do we need a Savior? It's because of sin. Jesus has come for that, to provide uh, atonement and reconciliation so that we can be brought into the family of God. Like these women in the story, being called child of God. Um, and so, uh, one other observation that I want to make before closing is how we think about faith. Um, again, we're in the middle of Luke, and Luke is going to take us to the place that, that we know in the Gospels of, of Jesus laying down his life for us. And when we think about faith, I think we often think about it in eternal terms, that we have faith in Christ, um, and that faith uh, affords us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It, or it's by grace that you are saved through faith. Um, we think about faith in eternal terms, and what this text challenges me to do is to think about it not only in terms of eternal security, but in terms of living now, that faith can be a fuel for present living. Uh, because in this text, Jesus is asking people to believe, and he's not talking about eternity at all. He's asking them to believe him in the present. And so what does it look like to, to uh, live by faith in, in the present? It's everything that we've, we've already laid out. It's following Jesus in these ways. And so how do we respond? Um, well, we can just key off the text in this. Uh, both Jairus and this woman, uh, their response is to fall at Jesus' feet. And uh, maybe you want to do that physically. I would encourage that. Um, if not, let that be the posture of our hearts this morning to, to fall before Jesus. And um, maybe this... Uh, this morning is the, a time that you're realizing for the first time that you need him as a savior, that you are experiencing this broken relationship with God because of sin. Jesus offers us the same invitation now as he did then to believe. And John 3.16 puts it so succinctly that uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So maybe you're coming to Jesus with that this morning, or maybe it's just one of these characteristics that we've pointed out has weighed heavy on your heart. And, and I pray that you bring that with him, uh, before him this morning. So with that, let's pray and, and wrap this up. Um, God, I thank you for this text. I know it's challenged me in so many ways to um, give you thanks and praise for salvation that sins have been forgiven that we are set free that we can truly live and experience life as you intended it to be uh, but it's also challenged me that there is work to do now in being a servant and being personal and being uh, priestly and being and merciful, being compassionate, being a healer with my words. 
God, I, I trust the Holy Spirit will lead us all in how it is that we are uniquely to respond to this text. And uh, I give you praise in advance for the fruit that you will bear in, um, in just challenging us and leading us as you always do. Uh, I pray this in the name of Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. Amen.